There's power in the prep. If you're taking notes this morning, that is the title of our message, that there is power in the prep. Now, this is true for almost anything worth doing in our lives. Think about it. Say you're going to have a good meal. Well, there's power in the prep. Maybe you're going to smoke some meat. You know, that's an overnight thing sometimes. I shared a few weeks ago, you know, on Christmas Day, uh, my family and I had a lasagna, and we're not Italian at all, but when it comes to our Christmas lasagna, we just turn into Rome, Italy, I guess, because the, the meat sauce took 13 hours. Maybe you can remember back, you know, married folks in the room, or, you know, even if you're not, and you're, you're hoping that you'll be married soon, amen, you can think back to your first date. I mean, there was power in prep. You didn't rush getting ready. Maybe you did, I don't know, but if you did and you're here with your spouse today, amen. But do you remember the prep work before the date, the butterflies? Man, I, w- I want to look good, I want to smell good. I think about the prep work of planting this church. We will turn one years old um, next month, actually. March 27th is our one-year anniversary. And there was so much prep that went into planting citizens. A couple years of dreaming assessments, months of raising money and inviting people to join on in our mission to help people meet Jesus and grow in their relationship with him. And then I think of some things that require prep, but they're not so fun. And the only example I could think of is a colonoscopy. I was trying to think, how how many things do you prep for that are not so fun? Colonoscopy is probably up there. I've never had one. They're probably coming in my future, but I've heard, and a few hands are in, like, you know, faces right now, the prep work is not fun. You know, this is also true for NASA astronauts. I was just researching a little bit this week, and I was like, what does it take to become an astronaut? Because we see, you know, launches every now and again, um, but you know there's a lot of prep work to be an astronaut. It's, it's interesting. They don't just take your resume. It takes up to two years of training before you're officially called a qualified astronaut, and I didn't know this, but in order to work at the International Space Station, you have to learn Russian. To prepare for space flight, it takes months of prep work. And then, who knows, a launch might be scrubbed that day. But one of the greatest challenges in the prep for a NASA astronaut is what will anti-gravity feel like on my body? Now, when Alan Shepard first went to space years ago, he had to communicate with Houston to make sure that his eyes had not oozed out of his head because they thought this might happen when you reach this anti-gravity in space. They even thought that the lungs and the stomach may confuse themselves and turn inside out. They thought, how is an astronaut going to be able to swallow in space? So they're not going to be able to eat. And we've come a a, a little ways since the 60s. But to prepare for a space flight, NASA realized that if we fly a plane in a parabola, that we can actually experience 30 to 40 seconds of anti-gravity for these astronauts to prep their bodies. Now, ironically, this is known as the vomit comet. Because as you can probably guess, flying really high and then going way down and then going back up causes a little bit of stomach upset and astronauts would vomit of course 
But they found out that in this prep, they could simulate 30 to 40 seconds of weightlessness. And in other things in our world and in our lives, we could say, man, there is actually power in the prep, that we don't just want to do something. We want to prep. And this is also true for the early church as they heed the missionary call of Jesus. You see, last week we began this church-wide study through the book of Acts. And last week we discussed that this mission of God, that before Jesus ascends back to the Father, that he has his disciples before him, and he gives this missionary call that is not going to be contained in Jerusalem, but is going to be worldwide. We talked about how this worldwide mission is not done in a vacuum by one church or another, but it is the call for all churches and all disciples of Jesus to be on mission together, not empowered by our abilities and our whatever you're, you're impressed with in certain churches, but we are empowered by the Spirit on mission together. And this morning as we continue in the book of Acts, I just want to kind of stay in this one spot for a moment and just lay this before you. What is God calling you to do? Who is he calling you to be? Who is he calling you to bless? If God is actively working in our lives, and at this church we confess that he is, God is not a deity that created and stepped away. We confess here that God is actually actively working in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And if that is true, then the question for you and for I today is, what is God calling me to do? If we have a mighty Holy Spirit, what is God calling us to do? Who is he calling us to be? Let's open it up as we finish chapter 1 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. It'll be on the screen, and we say this every week, but if you do not own a copy of Scripture, we have free Bibles in the lobby. So before you leave today, we would love to get your hands on a copy of Scripture because as we open this book, this is not Adam's opinions. This is not Adam's ideas. We are not here for that. Trust me. <laughs> but we are here because these are words of life, and this is what it says, starting in verse 12. Read it with me. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, Jesus has just ascended, right? And last week we saw that his call was to stay put until the mighty counselor, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you where you will be my witnesses in this city and cities uh, around you and to the rest of the world. And in this passage, we see that they traveled back to Jerusalem, and it says about a Sabbath day journey. You know, there, there, were, there were Sabbath regulation and laws that the Jews followed very, very intently. And a Sabbath day journey right here was about 0.7 miles. So this Mount of Olives where Jesus ascends back to heaven, the disciples come back to Jerusalem, and they go to an upper room. Now, we don't necessarily know what upper room this is, 
Could this be where they had the Last Supper? Could this be where Jesus appeared in his resurrected body? We're not sure. But we know that they go there. And then we see the disciples' names listed who was with them in Luke's account. And maybe you noticed at the end, you read and heard the name that Judas was with them. Now, there were two Judases within the disciples. That's why it's very, very, anytime we, we, we write in Scripture about this Judas or that Judas, there's always the tagline, Judas Iscariot, or we have Judas here, the son of James. Now, some scholars believe that Judas, the son of James, could have been ident identical to the disciple Thaddeus. And honestly, we don't have a lot of insight into who Judas, the son of James, is. There's one account in John 14 where he's about to speak up, and it's, it's interesting that the writer John actually gives this caveat, then Judas, not Iscariot, said. And so we have this, and we see who is there. But notice again, and this is where we're going to key in for just a few moments. Let's look back down at verse 14. So we know who's there. We know where they're at. We know what just happened. But verse 14, this is what it says. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Two things here. Number one, what they did. Jesus has just given this call, and the disciples come back to Jerusalem, and they are continually united in prayer. As we talk about the power in the prep, and certainly Jesus has called all of us to do mighty things, there's power in the prep because the disciples recognized that this is where it all starts. To come back to Jerusalem and to wait was not to sit on your hands, but to sit continually in prayer. You see, throughout the book of Acts, major decisions are first and foremost addressed through prayer. It's not abnormal for the apostles, the men and the women in this room, as, as, as Luke tells us in chapter 1. That throughout the early church, any time a major decision was coming upon the group, it was always addressed in prayer. Alistair Begg, in commenting on prayer, and I love this, says this. That prayer is an acknowledgement that our need of God's help is not partial, but total. Prayer is the acknowledgement that you and I's need for God is not partial. It's not just around a dinner table. It's not just on 10 a.m. at Citizens Church. Our need for God is in total, and that is what prayer shows us. In fact, we could say it like this before we go any further, that before anything great is done within the mission of God, it begins in prayer. Before anything great, and certainly great things are about to happen, it begins in prayer. From our earliest traditions, we are praying people. Guys, I would encourage you this morning, that verbiage of all we can do now is pray, remove that from your vocabulary. As people of Jesus, as people that follow Jesus, as people that realize this Holy Spirit is coming in to indwell in us, we are not people that rely on all we can do now is pray. That is not us. Prayer is not our last resort. For the disciples here before they did anything, it says that they were continually united in prayer. Martin Luther said this, that I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. If we see that our life is on the altar of mission, let us begin each day and each moment with prayer. You and I are dependent creatures. In a world that says you do you, in a world that says work harder, be who you truly are, guys, we are so dependent. 
You know what's true about everybody in the room this morning? No one woke themselves up. And the disciples here are seeing, before we do anything, we have to pray to the God who hears us. And honestly, I can't help but think that in these moments, the disciples thought back to the last three years that they spent with Jesus. And as they decided together that we are going to pray, I, I, I got to think that they, they thought about, well, well, Jesus went alone and prayed before he ever started his ministry. Guys, do you remember when Jesus fed those thousands of people? He prayed and blessed that. Guys, do you remember not too long ago in the garden? Before Jesus, our Savior, went to the cross, he prayed and he invited us to pray with him. I can't help but think that in this moment, the disciples are like, well, what should we do? Well, this is what Jesus showed us. You remember when he took us to a hillside and said, when you pray, pray like this? And I can just imagine them starting to recite, our Father who is in heaven. What the master had taught, they were practicing. And what they were practicing was total dependency through the continuous prayer. So that's the first thing. We see what they did. They prayed. But the second thing there that's interesting about verse 14 is who was there? Women and Jesus' family. Luke is very, very precise in writing in detail who was there and making sure that we know it was not just the 11 men that are now following Jesus, but there were women there as well and Jesus' family. Don't let anyone tell you that the Bible devalues the role of women within the kingdom of God. What's interesting about this is that it was women who financially supported Jesus' mission, such as Mary the Magdalene. She was the one that financially supported Jesus. Who Jesus reported to on resurrection morning, it was women first at the tomb. And here in this moment, women are in this room with them, and there are men and women, and they are devoting themselves to united prayer. And this is the good news that it means this morning. That you have a role to play within the mission of God. Not only did we all not wake ourselves up this morning, but all of us in here fall into the category of man or woman. Congrats, you're enlisted. And what are you enlisted to do? Jesus is clear. We just read about it last week. Preach the gospel to all nations. Lead your neighbors to Christ. Sit around their tables. Serve your family. Serve at your local church. Step into the mission field for all that God has for us. You have a role to play within the kingdom of God. Praise God that he does not just leave this to the role of pastors. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just call the elders to do it and for us and, and, and you follow us blindly. Thank the Lord that he is calling you to partner alongside me and my wife and our family and our church to do something great. That is who is in this room. But maybe this morning you're not really sure about this Jesus thing yet. Well, number one, welcome. We're glad you're here. But number two, look who else is there. Not just women, but Jesus' brothers. And why is that important, you ask? Well, if we were to go to Mark 3, and we're not going to turn there, Simply put, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' brothers are trying to restrain him because they think he's crazy. His own flesh and blood brothers are trying to restrain him because he's crazy. But here in Acts 1, 
They're with the apostles devoting themselves to prayer. Keep walking around the pool and eventually you'll fall in. If you are not a believer here, you are welcome. Please keep asking questions. Please keep showing up. Serve, give, learn. Be a seeker of the God of the Bible because eventually Jesus' own brothers are testimony that what had happened in just a few short years, they are now in the upper room with the apostles praying to the God that they were trying to restrain just a few years ago. Keep coming. Keep showing up. And for those of us in here who are with Jesus, have grace and patience with those in your life who do not yet know Jesus. Do not give up on them. Do not give up serving them, loving them, having grace with them where they're at, because eventually the God who holds everything together could come and invade their lives. At some point, Jesus' brothers repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus as their Savior. And I just have to think, how long do you think Mary prayed for these guys? How long do you think Jesus and Mary prayed for these guys? And it's just incredible that we don't get many more details. We do know that James, Jesus' brother, is a leader of the Church of Jerusalem. So we do get some details about what ended up with their lives. But it's just incredible that Luke includes them. That there were men and women here along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Man, it's incredible. But let's keep reading. Let's look down at verse 15 of Acts chapter 1. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together, about 120. And Peter said this, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas, not Judas the son of James, but Judas Iscariot, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, and his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. Man, Luke, you have a way with words. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that their own language, this field is called Hekeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. In those days, some time period before, you know, before uh, the Pentecost comes in the Holy Spirit, but after this upper room experience, in those days, Peter stood up. Now, this is interesting because Peter is going to be a prominent figure within the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament church. But the Peter that stood up here is the same Peter that disowned Jesus three times. The same Peter that stood up is the same Peter that just cut a, an ear off. He was called Satan by Jesus himself. That same Peter just stood up and started to declare this. And this is just a side note. This isn't a point, but it's just a freebie. That just because you're scared to share your faith today does not mean that you will be tomorrow. I think Peter's an example of that. Same man who denied his Lord three times. Today he's standing up before the apostles and he's going to lead in this church. But his initiative, his first initiative as leader. We know how important the first 100 days is for a president. So let's just say the first 100 days for the apostle. His first initiative, replace Judas Iscariot. Now, what's interesting here is Peter is not replacing Judas because Judas died. 
He is replacing Judas because Judas defected. Judas left the ministry. At one time, he was among us, but then he was not any longer. It's not just for the sake, well, we need 12, and Judas is dead, so let's bring someone in. Well, we'll read about Matthias in a little bit. But it's rather that Judas defected. And did you notice how Peter spoke of Judas when he stood up in this moment? He did not get personal. He got scriptural. You see, in verse 20, Peter invokes two separate psalms that they are prescribing to Judas Iscariot, the traitor. It's both Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. In both of in their original context, if we were to go there, these psalms are addressing the enemies of the Lord. And here, Peter is using that and, and, and really bringing Judas in as an enemy from the Lord. That these two psalms in which he invokes actually foretell of Jesus's or Judas's demise. And why we bring this to our attention is that this passage shows us how the early church viewed Scripture. Because the Scripture that they had was the Old Testament. It was the Torah. It was everything that we see in the first half of our Bible. And we see that, number one, they believed that it was inspired by the Spirit. And number two, that it was foreknowledge from God that is now playing out in their midst. So not only was it inspired... But God foreknew these things and spoke these things through the mouth of someone like David. Now the first thing here, spirit inspired. Now the spirit is about to fall in a new way in the book of Acts. As we reach chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost and the spirit falls like tongues of fire. So it's going to come in a new way. But nevertheless, let's not make the mistake and think that the spirit has not always been. The triune God is the eternal Father, the eternal Son, and the eternal Spirit. The Spirit was not created in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit has always been. And the Spirit has used the mouths of people like David and like Moses. The early church saw that. He doesn't just say David said, but he says David said, indwelled with the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoke these things. This is crucial to our doctrine of God and how the early church had this view. The Spirit was not created at Pentecost, but it fell in a new way. The second thing is God's divine foreknowledge. Now this is interesting. Judas' betrayal and consequently the arrest and death of Jesus were not an accident, but were the plan of God. So that leads us to something. Judas was a puppet. Well, no. Peter tells us, if we were to look back at verse 18, that it was his unrighteousness that he did this. It was in Judas's unrighteousness that he acquired this field when he betrayed Jesus. Judas was not a puppet. So Judas could have not done what he did. No. <laughs> he was always going to do it, and his betrayal was foreknown by God. And this is a sermon for another time. But the point that we see here, don't get caught up in Judas isn't a puppet, but he still was always going to do what he did. Don't get caught up there. Get caught up in this. That even in the most horrible circumstances, God's mission is advancing in our lives. What Peter's point here is, it took the, the betrayal by Judas to lead our Lord to the cross, and ultimately that is why we are here today. It was necessary that from the mouth of David, Judas walked in, if you will, to this prophecy. We could almost see it as, it was not an accident, it was, it was a gift that would lead the Lord to Calvary. 
Now, it was an awful thing. Like I said, Peter, when Jesus was being arrested, cut a dude's ear off, okay? I'm not saying they went down willingly. But in this moment, he's realizing, even in the most horrific, horrible circumstances, God's mission is advancing in our lives. Not even the betrayal of Judas and the arrest of our Lord and his beating and crucifixion could thwart the plan of God. Because it was through these things that salvation was made possible for you and I. If Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, does not go to the cross, you and I are wasting our time here. Because if he does not go to the cross, he does not die, he is not buried, and he is not resurrected bodily over death, hell, and the grave. In the most horrible circumstances, God's mission goes on. And we see it here. The mission is going on. And as we close today, we look at the last verses for this this time, this morning, verses 21 through 26, as we see the mission of God going forth through the people in this room. Let's, Let's read it together as we close chapter one. Therefore, so after Peter had said all this, therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, From among these men, it is necessary that one become witness with us of his resurrection. So basically what Peter is saying is that it's necessary that we call another man to replace Judas Iscariot's spot. We need need another man in this position. So here's what he says in verse 23. So they proposed two, two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also known as Justice, that's his Roman name, and Matthias. Then they prayed. You, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, what we see here in these remaining verses is is really a, a, a question for us. Did God command them to choose another apostle? Doesn't look like it. Now, Peter believes that this is a spirit-inspired decision, but from the mouth of God himself, he does not say, choose another apostle, cast lots, and you can choose either between Matthias or Joseph. But Peter chose to. Peter chose to, invited the foreknowledge of God into it, and through the casting of lots, they did what they believed they should. The back uh, back half of chapter one It's all about prep work. You see, the disciples, the men and women, are doing whatever they believe God is leading them to do. God did not say, go pray, Peter, you stand up and choose Matthias. No. They were simply being as faithful as they could, and God used it. The lot fell on Matthias. Now, here's what's interesting about that. The name... Joseph here, and we see, you know, Joseph called Barsabbas, or also called Justice. His name means son of an old man. Matthias means gift of God. Who are you going to (laughs) choose? It's just an interesting side note, that as they were choosing between two men, they had Joseph here, son of old man, or Matthias, whose name means gift of God. Let's cast a lot and see what the Lord decides. They did choose Matthias. I don't think it's because of that. They casted lots, and the Bible does not lie to us, but it's just interesting. You see, there is power in the prep. 
before any mission took place, and we're about to see that. Once we jump into chapter 2, it's like pedal to the metal. We're seeing churches planted, the Spirit's going forth, Gentiles are being saved. We don't know what to do with it. There's thousands of people adding to our numbers. But before all of that, we see the power in the prep work. That the Lord is calling us to something magnificent. And we have so much to do, church, that we must begin in prayer. We have so much going on that we must begin here. And church, you know what's interesting? This man is going to stand up inspired by the Spirit that is about to fall in a new way. And he's going to say, let's replace Judas. Yes, it was necessary. For, he didn't say, let's replace this traitor. Let's re he was awful. No, he says it was necessary. It was the plan of God that Judas would do what he did. And folks, let's cast lots and let's replace him. And they pray, Lord, you know the hearts of every person in here. They are confessing, Lord, you already know who this lot is going to fall on. But nevertheless, let's do it. And for us this morning, this is what I want you to hear as we think about the power in the prep. Our sermon in a sentence is simply this. That the mission of God doesn't require perfection, but faithfulness. The mission of God, you and I's role within the mission of God, is not perfection. It is not your role to be as perfect as possible so that people think you are next kin to Jesus. Just a side note, people can actually um, empathize and sympathize with you way more in your weaknesses than your strengths. I don't know if anybody is interested in here about hearing how awesome Adam is. No one's interested in that. But you may relate to Adam's struggles. Adam still acts like a jerk to his wife sometimes. Adam still, depending on the round on the golf course, might, might slip a word out or two. Lord, help me. That's what people relate to. And what he's calling you to do is not be perfect and get everything right but he's calling you to be faithful. Church, listen to me. Don't pray for perfect words. Pray for your faithfulness that it takes to just open your mouth and talk to your neighbor. Don't pray for perfect words. Pray, Lord, you know my heart. Give me the faithfulness to just open my mouth and invite them to dinner. <laughs> Maybe I just ask them how their day's going. Church, listen to me. Don't pray for the perfect opportunity to share the gospel with your neighbor. Pray that your faithfulness to make the most of every opportunity that you see your neighbor. Guys, we would love sometimes, and I, and I would love it. You know how easy it would be if, if people would just come up to me and be like, please tell me about the Lord Jesus. I seek to repent, and I want to be baptized. You know how easy that would be to be like, well, let me tell you about him. But for whatever reason, guys, God calls us to live beside neighbors that we might not like that much, that have no interest in the church, have no interest in the Lord. And God is calling us to be faithful in those moments, don't pray for perfect opportunity. Don't pray for perfect words. Pray for faithfulness that it will take for you to open your mouth and make the most of every opportunity. As the Spirit leads, you and I take risks. We take risks in the power of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son, would come and take on our flesh, would die on a cross, would be buried, and three days later be resurrected 
It's that same power that indwells us. It's not your abilities. It's trusting that God will handle the outcome if we would just be faithful. If, Lord, don't make us perfect, make us faithful. Lord, make us obedient to just ask my waitress today, ask my waiter today if I can pray for them as we pray for our meal. I may butcher it, but Lord, give me the faithfulness to open my mouth. There's power in the prep. And the disciples see this. Before anything great is done within the mission of God, we see that it begins in prayer. Because you and I are dependent creatures, dependent upon God to do all that he is going to do. And man, we are so, (laughs) I I, I don't even have the term for it. Lucky doesn't describe it. Fortunate is kind of weak. God invites us into this mission. You know how powerful that is? He could write it in the stars. Yet he chooses Citizens Church. (laughs) Guys, you are invited on mission. And God is not calling you to perfection. He's calling you to faithfulness. And may God find us faithful this morning. Amen.